the two elements. One obviously is the healthcare side, um, and it has all the information, um, background research, our research, published papers, etc. And then the other side, uh, which is mystery vibe, is very much driven by um, how do you improve your intimacy as a very um, overarching concept, which can be anything from um, giving each other massages, which has nothing to do with you know a clinical problem, too. Look into his eyes. They're the eyes of a man obsessed by success. Eyes that mock our sacred institutions. Bedroom eyes, they call them in a bygone day. Sex desire is the most powerful of human desires. When driven by this desire, men develop keenness of imagination, courage, willpower, persistence, and creative ability unknown to them at other times. So strong and impelling is this desire for sexual contact that men freely run the risk of life and reputation to indulge in. When harnessed and redirected along other lines, this motivating force maintains all of its attributes of keenness of imagination, courage, etc., which may be used as powerful creative forces in literature, art, or in any other profession or calling, including, of course, the accumulation of riches. Napoleon Hill. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Zoom Zoom. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So give everybody the highlight of who you are and what you do for business. I am so I am the one of the founders of Mystery Vibe. I started Mystery Vibe 10 years ago um, to solve the age-old problem of how do you keep uh, intimacy and mystery in the bedroom after major life events like having a kid, having menopause, having cancer, recovering. Um yeah, and, and how, what we do is we use, um, we bring together biomedical engineering and uh, medicine to create devices, uh, vibrating devices, and uh, which help with pain relief, um, arousal, dryness, uh, erectile dysfunction, uh, various sexual health issues, uh, and all of it by being very precise with the frequency of vibration and the location of vibration. So that's, um, yeah, that's what we do. Excellent. And you can tell that my day goes from one thing to another because um, my brain just kicked in. They're like, oh, yeah. That's what we're... <laughs> and maybe you were listening to those peeps and your brain went, we're doing what today? Yeah, we're doing that today. We're going there. Awesome. So I am super excited about this because I think there is a ton of information that people need to know and understand about sexual health and they're afraid to talk about it. And because of you and who you are, we also get to talk about your business of um, of the devices. <laughs> Let's go with that and what's going on there. So lovely. For those of you who don't know, peeps, welcome to the Little Blue Pill for Business, where it's all about getting it up and keeping it up. And yes, we're talking about revenue and profits. We know it's all about the six inches between your ears. So I interview some of the hottest people in the industry that are blowing and going so that we can help you get in on some action. So if you like a little tongue in cheek and not just physically, this show is for you. And today, as I mentioned, we are jumping into bed with my most amazing guest. And yes, 
we are talking about sex and toys and yes. tools and devices and all sorts of fun mm -hmm. things. So uh, we've jumped in the bedroom before with people, but this is kind of a little more um, uh, literally. <laughs> We're going to be doing this a little more literally, literally virtually. So let's back up the bus just a little bit. How did you get into and what did you call them again? Because I love the way you say it. It's a bio some some some. Uh, uh, yeah, bring together biomedical engineering with, uh, say, urology, for example. So how it works, I'll give you a very simple example is pelvic pain. So with pelvic pain, the most simple cure or therapy is to use two fingers, uh, reach inside, uh, reach the pain areas, massage the areas, uh, alleviate the pain. And, you know, with enough uh, therapy sessions, you get rid of the pain. Um, so that's what uh, OBGYN or uh, PT, uh, pelvic floor therapist would do. Um, but it's not always possible for people to access that. You know, they might not, uh, one, they might not know who mm -hmm. to go to. They might not have any uh, PTs nearby or they might not have the time or money to do that. So, so where we come in is we take that knowledge from the doctors. The doctors tell us, look, this is how it can be addressed. And then we bring in engineering by creating malleable material, bendable electronics, um, special material science, uh, special motors to deliver the right kinds of frequencies and put it together to create what would be the therapy, but it mimics it. You know, it, it literally creates a device which mimics two fingers um, and bends and reaches the spots um, and, and very much recreates that uh, but at the at the one of cost and making it accessible and the convenience of you being able to do it yourself. Well, and a lot of people don't recognize the pain itself, which to me seems odd because a lot of women think that it's just normal to experience pain, period. Uh, so I'll, I'll get into that in a sec, but let's go back to your bioengineering degree and how you got into developing this as a thing, like this whole business as a thing. How did this develop and unfold? So my, uh, yeah, like you said, my degree back in 2004 um, was in biomedical engineering. Uh, as in that's when I did my PhD in it. And my focus back then was on ophthalmology working with eye doctors to create um, camera systems to recognize people's irises. So uh, very different in terms of um, different body part, different um, healthcare, but the underlying principles are the same where the medics tell us, you know, this is what you need to know about the body. And then we figure out the electronics, the plastics, the materials, the software, the engineering, um, to do what the medics need us to do. Um, so that was my first uh, biomedical startup, uh, which was acquired in 2009 uh, by a California-based company. Um, and then I wanted to stay in biomedical, obviously, uh, but I wanted to focus on another area, you know, an area which would have even bigger impact on the day-to-day -day lives of people, um, something very significant, like cancer would be a really you know, valuable area, for example, or uh, diabetes or heart uh, ailments, because these are things that affect 
a huge uh, percentage of the population. Um, and um, the area that we realized uh, was very overlooked, especially 10 years ago when we started, um, was sexual health, especially after something major like having cancer or having surgery um, or something very normal like having menopause um, and something very happy like having a child. So, you know, um, very simple life events, but can lead to very uh, detrimental, uh, can have detrimental effects on your uh, intimacy. And um, there wasn't much information, let alone solutions back then. So it seemed like a really good meaty area to get into work for a reasonable amount of time, you know, expecting it will take a while to build something significant. And then when it is significant and out there, it would help a lot of people. Nice. Love it. So let's talk about the pain that women are experiencing, because again, I don't think a lot of women realize that it's not normal to experience pain. Um, one, just from walking, sitting, standing, <laughs> which you would think is pretty normal to not experience pain then, but a lot do. And they just think it's normal because, oh, that's what happens after I have a baby. Oh, that's just what happens after you get old. Mm -hmm. That's just what happens when, and it's kind of not true. So what have your clients experienced and what kind of uh, problems and pains are they coming to you with? So the uh, two main pains uh, in female sexual health that we deal with is pelvic pain and penetration pain. So uh, pelvic pain often is after childbirth from carrying a very heavy amount of weight on the pelvic floor for nine months. Um, and then the fact that it stretches and then contracts within a short period of time um, leaves behind scar tissues, often leaves behind scar tissues, which need to be um, addressed in order to uh, alleviate the pain from them. And so that's a major one. And then I would say equally important is penetration pain, which often comes from uh, dryness, for example, after menopause or during perimenopause. Um, and there are other areas like vulva pain, um, vaginismus pain, which is uh, also penetration pain um, and then period pain uh, we haven't yet launched a product in period pain, which we, we are working on and it will come out next year but um, we have devices now for vulva pain penetration pain and pelvic pain so i would say the in terms of the numbers probably uh, dryness related and arousal disorder related issues is equal to pelvic floor, which is often to do with childbirth. Yes. Okay. And when it comes to kind of biologically figuring out how to resolve these issues, is it very much a kind of a template? Oh, if you have these symptoms, this is what's going wrong, or it can it be a very variety of issues? It's definitely a variety. And we always tell people that, you know, if possible for your first, um, consultation go to an expert um even if you can't let's say you know after having a child um, maybe you won't have the time or resources to go three times a week for 12 weeks which is you know recommended but if you go once you get the training you get a solution like one of our devices you get um you know like 
video on how to use it, that will make a huge difference compared to 100% self-help. So, so if possible, going to a clinician for the first appointment, the first consultation um, is hugely valuable. And also, there might be other things that are affecting you, which you might not think about. Um, so, and, and that's where we can't help because we wouldn't know the um, individual cases. We can only uh, write about what doctors give as generic advice um, and with diagrams, with videos, with text, with lots of really useful information. But the best solution would always be to go see a clinician, um, figure out what is it exactly that you need doing in order to address the pain wherever it is. And when you recommend getting the advice and then going to the clinician, do you have your own clinicians that people see or ones that are trained with your devices uh, or? Yes. So we have a lot of clinicians who are trained with their devices um, in major hospitals like Mayo Clinic, Cedar Sinai, Rush in Chicago, um, Veterans Association. So, so, and it grows constantly purely from word of mouth. We don't do any marketing. Uh, we're very small, you know, we're only 20 people. So it's very much driven by the efficacy. So where we focus all our efforts in the research, uh, clinical trials, publishing papers, and then sending it to any doctor or therapist um, who wants to try it, um, give it to their patients. And, and from there, the word spreads because if it is genuinely useful, then doctors would be extremely excited to share it with other doctors because everyone's looking for uh, non-invasive solutions to problems, uh, solutions which don't have any side effects. So, um, so that's a really great place to be in, in our space is it is difficult to get to that point where it's an effective FDA-approved uh, uh, reimbursement-approved device. But once you get there, then your biggest evangelists are the doctors and the nurses and the therapists who see their patients benefiting hugely and they then go and tell all their contacts. Right. So we, assuming we have people that are running those um, clinics and things like that, know that you have two streams of content that you're putting out for people to be able to understand this. One is, as I understand it, more um, related to the healthcare professionals. Let's talk about that one first for a little bit, because I think it's important for people to understand that the amount of information that is available um, on that, from that angle. Yes. Um, so, and, and this is a really important point. So while the work we do is medical and it's very much driven by the doctors telling us what to build and what will work, um, the goal is to make it very pleasurable because, um, and, you know, the just staying on the topic of pelvic pain, the if we make the contraption clinical and scary, like let's say steel clamps, um, it might still be very effective, but the user may not want to use it. And that has traditionally been the biggest barrier with sexual health devices is if they're not sexy, 
people, unless they are really struggling and their doctor says you must use it, they try and avoid it. So one of the first things we were told by um, well, one our chief medical officer and also by all the doctors we've worked with is you have to make it, you, you can't make it intimidating. You know, it needs to be something that someone on their own or as a couple would be very happy to have in their bedroom as a toy. And that's where the toy piece comes in. Uh, yes, it is, you know, FDA and clinical and all of that stuff. But if we can't present it as a nice, sexy device that you or you as a couple want to play with, then it would never get adopted. So, and, and a really good example are condom ads. So when you see ads for Citrogen or Durex, they're always about having fun. They're never about being a medical. They are also, you know, FDA medical products, but you would never see a condom ad which says, hey, here's an FDA medical device, please use it, right? Uh, so, and that's a really good example of why sexual health is very nuanced. It's very different from all other health because let's say, you know, if you have diabetes and someone says you need to, you know, buy this really horrible looking device and attach it to your body and monitor your sugar levels all the time, otherwise you're going to die, you'll do it, right? You you don't care that it looks bad, um, but it doesn't really work like that in sexual health. It needs to be very pleasurable. It needs to be very um, welcoming, uh, very easy to introduce. Um, so yeah, so the the two elements, one obviously is the healthcare side um, and it has all the information, um, background research, our research, published papers, etc. And then the other side, uh, which is Mystery Vibe, is very much driven by um, how do you improve your intimacy as a very um, overarching concept which can be anything from um, giving each other massages, which is nothing to do with, you know, a clinical problem to, you know, recovering from radical prostatectomy, which means removing the prostate after prostate cancer, which is extremely, you know, serious uh, medical situation. So the goal with Mystery Vibe is we're not just trying to inform you about medical issues. You might, maybe you have, no medical issues at all but you might still be looking for ways to improve your bedroom improve your relationship improve your solo pleasure improve you know just having better sex um or having more sex whatever that is you know the job to be done in that case is um if that's our goal is giving you really actionable information where you know it's bullet points it's like here's a great playlist you can play to get in the mood. Um, here's a room temperature you can set because it's scientifically proven to help with the right amount of temperature to help with blood flow. Um, you know, these are really good loops you can buy that we know are very reliable and safe. It's very simple things like that. Um, well, which, it is the little blue pill for business. Yeah. So people are understanding one, how important their sexual, uh, life is to the function of their business which 
to some people sounds a little contradictory, um, but it has been proven time and time again. So we will get into that, but I still want to get into the, the medical side of things is what is that uh, website? Where do people go to find mm -hmm. kind of the, the white papers and all that kind of fun stuff? And then we'll get into <laughs> the actual fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. So actually, mysteryvive.com has everything so okay. there is a health section which has everything so um i think the one you were talking about is my sex md which is our medical only site and the reason we created that was because the doctors wanted a very simplified site uh, with very little content um just the basics you know like instructions um without anything else so if let's say someone in their 70s or 80s um, come to them saying, you know, I want uh, a very simple way to find out how to, how to use this device. Yeah, very basic. Um, so we created that website, which is a really stripped down version of Mystery Vibe, which just has you know, medical research and the product guides from various conditions. However, I would say, you know, for everyone, and that's what we promote uh, from a marketing perspective, is to go to Mystery Web because Mystery Web has everything. It has the medical stuff, it has the health stuff, it has the journal papers, but equally it has um, uh, articles about um, where can you find really good lubes, where can you find um, AudioPorn, for example, where, uh, oh, you know, some guides on how to give massages to each other, um, but equally uh, menopause, prostate cancer, pelvic pain. So the whole gamut of content, both in pleasure and medical is in mystery vibe awesome the the area of this that i find particularly fascinating is that again people need to really understand how much their sexual health if you want to put use the word penetrates into the rest of their life in that you know if we're experiencing pain on a given on a daily basis we can't necessarily be thinking about things creatively because we get distracted by the pain on a constant basis and it just kind of takes us out of that creative mode. The other thing that can happen is that if our partner is experiencing something that is inhibiting that sexual relationship between the two of you, that oftentimes the conversation becomes cumbersome and awkward or blaming as opposed to how do we actually resolve this and how do we work towards this? So looking at it as kind of a conversation that we want to start having, how do you guys package your products and services to be able to kind of have those conversations and to, to make it something playful and light? Yeah. Yes. The, I would say it's the most important question uh, because, you know, you could make the best devices which can solve the toughest problems and they could be, you know, amazingly effective, but if, and even if you find out, if you can't introduce that into the bedroom, into your life, uh, into your sex life, then it's pointless, right? Um, so the way we do it is we try to uh, provide um, catalysts for conversations. So give you an example. Um, let's say someone wants to talk about... Um, performance anxiety, which is um, a different way of looking at erectile dysfunction. So, you know, having difficulty with either getting erect or maintaining an erection, um, 
either prior to sex or during sex. Now, what often it's very difficult to for either you know the uh, person struggling with it or their partner to bring it up the first time. So where we uh, and this is a gen generic suggestion we have for people is when it's something complex that you don't know how to talk about, find an article in a, in a paper that you both trust. So let's say if you both trust New York Times, there will be an article about, and it doesn't have to be explicitly ED because that might be something you don't want to say. Um, it might be about anxiety, which is a much more general generic thing. And it might be about anxiety and its impact on sex, right? Um, because 40% of uh, erection issues uh, are psychogenic, which means it's in the mind, not in the body. So if they, uh, you know, once you find that article, and there will always be content that, you know, you will find online, which you trust, and we, we list them as well. Um, so then you share it with your partner. Hey, I read this in NYT, and it's about um, anxiety and how it's affecting couples and how it's affecting their sex life and uh, how it's a very common thing and everyone's struggling with it. Um, you know, interesting, that's it. Uh, and then you leave it at that. You don't say whether it's a good thing or a bad thing and you find out what the other person has to say. And that protects you from the fear of rejection, which is the main reason why people don't talk. Yeah, when it comes to conversations in sexual health, most people don't talk about things because they're worried that their partner will reject them. And um, by doing this, you have this shield, this uh, protective barrier where the worst thing that will happen is your partner will say, oh, that's horrible. How can NYT write about it? And that's it, right? Um, the best thing that will happen is like, oh, that's really true. You know, um, it's something we are experiencing Let's figure out what we can do to solve it. Yeah. So the, um, and and the other thing that is beautiful about that is once you share that and if your partner is open to it, it that gives you the catalyst to then research related content, articles, talks, videos, etc. together to then become very knowledgeable and have that free-flowing conversation, which once it starts, it's very easy to continue. And then bringing in devices, whatever it is, pills, is straightforward because you're like, okay, you know, this is nothing special for us. Everybody's having this problem. There are lots of solutions. Let's see which one works for us. And that's a really nice place to be where you've overcome that barrier of, should I talk about it? what's he or she going to think about it to oh we're cool most people have this issue there are proper solutions out there you know we'll find the one that works for us right. so that's the you know the long it, it is not a short thing and we discourage people from going down the short thing which means sit down have a chat direct because the risk of doing that is the other person might say, oh, you know, I didn't want to talk about that. And then both of you would shut down, you know, have a block in your mind that, oh, 
we can't talk about this. So it can cause more problems than solve something by going cold and having a conversation about a topic you're not sure about. Well, one of the things that I like about the way that your company approaches things is that there are a multitude of ways to be able to bring up the conversation, whether it's through the blogs, the articles, through the different information that you give out or the different products and services uh, that are available for the different reasons. So it's it's not just necessarily a, hey, let's try this. It's a, uh, hey, you know, it sounds like there's something here that might be able to help us. Uh, regardless of the situation. Yep. Mm -hmm. I love it. So mysteryvibe.com. Yes. Yep. Let's make sure that we go there. I will, of course, have all links in the show notes so you can go and check those out. Be sure to um, connect. Is there a way that people can best start that journey with you other than going off the website and just start to order things? Or so, No, uh, I would say you know, definitely the content is probably the first thing I would recommend, you know, read, research, um, see if if the devices make sense for you. Uh, but equally, we welcome people to email us directly. Um, and sadly, not many people do, uh, which which is why we are very happy. So so my email is som, S-O-U-M, at mystery5.com. Uh, and you can add that in the notes. Um, we genuinely want people to email us um we do not get flooded by emails um it's not common for people to email a sex company uh, it's just not so whereas we get our best ideas we create the best content uh, both visual and um because we have this beautiful playbook where we draw pictures it's all hand drawn you know in our offices um to help whether it's on pelvic pain or pleasure it doesn't matter but uh, we create these beautiful drawings to help people um, with visual guides um, and most of that comes from outside from customers from doctors from patients very few of those you know like we might in our book i think there are maybe 100 positions um, and maybe we did 10 or 20 max ourselves and we um build other created other 80 based on feedback so um so we truly want people to email us because it's one of those areas of health where people don't talk about things publicly we don't really expect many people to leave a review on a review site for example um so you know the most discreet way is definitely email um or you know our contact us page it also comes to us it makes no difference so contact us page or email um, and we value them hugely because we don't get many of them. Well, one of the interesting things I've found about this podcast particularly is that it's probably one of the cleanest shows that we've <laughs> despite the fact that it's directly about sex toys. Um, and I, I do want to emphasize that I think there is a direct correlation between having a, a healthy sex life and a healthy business is very much a direct correlation. So if you're finding that the areas of your business are becoming stagnant and it's just not working for you, you might want to look in the bedroom and see what's going on there because 
of that. And sometimes we do things subconsciously, sometimes, <laughs> what, 80, 90% of the time true. we do. And, <laughs> and even wider than that, uh, health generally. So uh, good sexual health leads to better immunity, uh, better skin, better sleep, and other things, because all of it is to do with hormones in our bodies. And the hormones that are released as a result of orgasms, uh, like uh, oxy oxytocin, um, hang on. What is the other happy one? drugs that pop around happy, inside happy of our bodies, hormone. yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm forgetting the word, but uh, dopamine and um, this third one. But those three main hormones then lead to three big things, immunity, uh, skin, and sleep, but also other things like mental health. So there is a direct correlation between uh, orgasms and uh, getting out of depression, which is clinically proven. Um, it's quite difficult because if you have depression and you're on uh, drugs to combat depression, that also suppresses your libido or eliminates it even. And, and it becomes almost impossible to... Um, feel aroused, which becomes a vicious cycle. So we have a, we have an article actually on women's health when a journalist used one of her devices who was on depression drugs, and then that helped her get out of uh, the, the, the depression drugs um, because she started to feel happier. But it was like months after she started on drugs, like she eventually... Like, her friend convinced her you you know you have to try uh, this to uh, have fun because bring some fun into your life and that led to her getting out of her depression drug so, so if you look up women's health depression vibrator you'll find that article love that so mysterybibe.com and now I want to kind of change the direction of the conversation just a little bit to the business of sex toys so in your experience, what was the difference? Uh, what were some of the biggest differences that you noticed between doing the work with the ortho or the optometrists to the sex toys? I can only but imagine there's been a few. It's it's such a different business that I would, I don't even know where to start. So so what I did before was Biomedical applications in defense. So, so let me quickly explain what I did. So I used to build cameras. So the whole thing, you know, the software, the hardware, everything. So we built cameras to recognize people. Yeah. Even though it was biomedical because you have to work for doctors to create it. The application was military in defense and security in airports, etc. Um, and my interaction was with, say, Pentagon, as an example, right? Um, like his uh, cameras, um, this is how it works. Uh, you know, you could install them in secure facilities. So when people walk, they can get recognized and go in, et cetera. Um, so it was a purely B2B business. Um, very few in terms of number of clients. I think we only had 10. Very big per client revenue. Yeah, because it's defense contracts. Um, and very simple in a way, of course, you know, it's complex to build the tech and make sure it works really well, but very simple to maintain a B2B business because once you have a contract, it kind of goes on forever, right? Um, so 
I didn't imagine what this would be when I started it because um and and I like the um lessons from zero to one which is uh Peter Thiel's book because it says the reason all the people who worked in PayPal did really well after PayPal is because everything went wrong in PayPal so when they were building PayPal no one wanted to use online payments it was a massive uphill battle um and they struggled in every way yeah and they learned the most from that and that's why they then went on to create you know great companies like linkedin tesla etc um i had the exact opposite where i had the more easiest possible startup which you know was accidental my phd you know became a company and it got acquired it's brilliant uh, but I was not ready for uh, where everything is challenging. So devices, you know, building medical hardware is very expensive. Doing clinical trials, very expensive. Um, there's no guarantee it's going to work. And in most cases, it never works the first time and didn't for us either. Having to go back to investors every year saying, yeah, I thought I'm going to do it. But I need to go back to the drawing board again because it didn't work. And telling them, I need 10 years. Otherwise, you know, we're not going to get anywhere. Um, then going back to drawing board, then in a year's time, realizing it hasn't worked, but we're getting a bit closer. So it's positive. Uh, then trying again. And, you know, like in five years time, like, oh, this finally works and it's not bad. Uh, now we can do something with it. And then going through regulatory approval, then going through clinical trials and getting papers than getting doctors it's, it's such a long journey right it's very very painful um but it's really exciting at the end of that journey because then it's like a flywheel effect where um you've created something which works in an area which is big without many solutions yeah so so like pelvic 80 80, 80 plus percent women after childbirth has pelvic pain and there's hardly any solution apart from going to therapy. Yeah. And so if, and our device, you know, it has a 5X improvement, uh, which is clinically proven. And then the doctors try it and then they're like, okay, this actually works. It's complete word of mouth. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant place to be in healthcare, but it takes 10 years to get there. So, so it is it is such a big difference between where, I was before where I was really in defense, even though I was a biomedical engineer applying biomedical, but I was in the defense industry, which I think is, you know, having done that is super easy compared to the medical industry um, where there are so many layers, so many layers. Um, and then, you know, including reimbursement, uh, patients wanting to use it. Like that's, that itself is a huge problem in sexual health. Like you might make the best device, you've ticked every box, you've got reimbursement, you've got everything. The patient says, oh, I don't like it. I don't want to use it because it's scary. So so this is so many things. I, I can't think of any uh, anything else I could possibly do, which has more variety. Like, you right. know, we build our own software, we build our own hardware, we do our own PCB, we um, do our own marketing, we, um, we don't do our own clinical trials. We uh, give that to hospitals to do. We leave that to be completely independent. Um, we then manage our own regulatory compliance. Uh, yeah, so 
we do everything ourselves. Wow. And I was going to say clinical trials must have been an interesting adventure over, you know, anything else. <laughs> so as far as my, clinical trials. My, my, my take on clinical trials is as long as you're patient, you will get there. The thing is, the valvodonia trial, okay, uh, valva pain, we started maybe three and a half years ago. Um, still hasn't finished. It got stuck during COVID. That was one thing. Uh, but the thing is, if you keep emailing or calling the doctors and asking them, they'll get very annoyed. <laughs> you just have to, you know, so I, I, my frequency is like once every six months. I check in to say, hey, can I help you with anything? And that's it. You know? So I, I think that is the key to clinical trials is, especially when you're relying on big hospitals, large government organizations to run it because that's where the big credibility comes from, not uh, us doing it privately, where you can throw a lot of money and get something done quickly. But uh, like the Valvodonia trial is with NHS, which is the uh, government health service in UK. Um, when the paper comes out, it will be you know, really well regarded worldwide because everybody knows that they would do things properly when they do a trial. So that's what we care about is the credibility. And also, you know, we're not a big farmer with money to do private big trials. So what we do instead in order to get feedback is uh, direct-to-consumer. So the reason we do direct-to-consumer, uh, which we don't necessarily need to do because we could just work with doctors and the doctors would uh, either sell it to their patients or recommend it. The problem with that is we don't interact with the patients directly if it's via a doctor, unless they have a support issue, which is very rare. So what we decided to do is in order to get to something significant like 100,000 users, which is impossible to do in a clinical trial unless you're Pfizer and you are willing to spend tens, maybe more than tens of millions to get to that level. Uh, because if you think of, say, the COVID vaccine trial, that was 50,000 people, and they must have spent a lot of money on that to get 50,000 data points. So that's not an insignificant amount of money. Um, so because that was not an option, what we, because our trials maximum are 300 people. That's it. Yeah, which is plenty in the trial world. Um, but to get to 100,000, we purely ran it as a direct-to-consumer. So what we did is we went to every single uh, channel, social channel, and went through compliance. Again, very long process uh, because it's the medical compliance on, if you want to say do marketing on Facebook, Microsoft, wherever, um, you go through their compliance team, you submit all the evidence, you say, okay, you know, these are all the things we're going to claim in the marketing, and this is the evidence, and then months later you get approved so we did that and then that's what made it really easy for us to scale um setting up the channels is obviously very time consuming but once you set up the channels it's just a matter of optimizing spend so that's how we reached people created that education where we can educate you directly in your facebook um feed or in your twitter feed in your google feed whatever um and then be able to um drive that traffic and if relevant, uh, sell a device to you. So that's how we got to 100,000 users. And the key thing with that is because they have paid money to buy it, 
even though it's um, FSH is so it's a bit cheaper than full price, but they have paid their own money to buy it. They will make sure if they have a problem, they'll tell us. Right? It's it's not something uh, they would hide. So we got so much feedback um, in the early years. Um, now, because we are 10 years old, we hardly get, which is what I was saying, we hardly get any emails, which is why we want people to email us. Um, because once a device is stable, there's not that many things you can change about it, which is which is great. So, so that's where, um, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how we did it in terms of uh, scaling the user base. Well, I have so many questions for you, but I'm going to leave that for everybody else to send in their questions to you and and get their curiosity answered that way. So you've been absolutely awesome. Any last words for our peeps? Oh, uh, if from a business perspective, I think the only thing I've learned, especially having done this as my second one, with the first one being too easy, is perseverance. Uh, and and it's just, it applies to anything. Uh, a medical trial is probably the extreme end of that, where you genuinely have nothing in your control. You just have to wait. Um, but even with product design, um, knowing that it will take maybe two to three times what you think it will take and being okay with it uh, or better, assuming it from the start, that if you think something's going to take a year, it might take two years or more. I say my budget, if you think it's going to cost a million and probably cost two, um, is the key, I think, to general startup success. Uh, because lots of people have ideas um, and lots of people can do execution, but often they don't persevere uh, because you're just hit with um, barriers all the time, right? And that's very common and that's what I expect. Um, because uh, the whole point of doing a startup is doing something new that no one's done before or doing something better that somebody's done before but not as good. Um, so there will definitely be barriers all the time. But if you plan ahead that you will need more time, you need more money than you think you will, and you bring your investors, your team members, everyone on the journey, then you can persevere. And I think most people who persevere are successful. You know, it's not that 99% of startups die. It's more that 99% of companies which start don't get past some n number of years. But I think if they do get past n number of years, whatever that is, maybe five, um, then they are very likely to be successful. And however you measure success, it doesn't have to be a unicorn, but um, they will be successful because they have contributed something uh, by creating the startup. But thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Thank you so much for having me. That's awesome. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedlec, your mistress in business. Thank you for being here today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and invite your friends. We can help you get it up when you need me because we love having you here. Thank you for listening to the Little Blue Pill for Business podcast with your mistress in business, Michelle Nedlec. Why are you still here? Go to littlebluepillforbusiness.com and get your goodies. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with somebody else that you know would enjoy getting it up in business after you subscribe to the podcast, of course, so you won't miss any future episodes. Now, check the notes for links. Oh, and only tell your wife if she's into this. 
you know, entrepreneurship. And I'll see you both on the other side.